This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get busy. It's hour three. It's a great day for talk radio. There's just so much going on. Man, oh man, where do we start? Well, let's start at the beginning and uh, introduce a roundtable who gather every Wednesday. Ernie Eves is a former premier and finance minister in the province. How's Ernie doing? I'm great. How are you, John? Likewise fine, thanks. You're doing okay despite the leaves getting shut out last night? Yeah, well, that wasn't too exciting. Okay, but, uh, you've recovered as well. I've recovered, said. yes, I'm here. <laughs> John Turley, you are at Risk Management Consultant, specializing in capital markets with extensive experience on Bay and Wall Street. Johnny, good to see you back again. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you for coming in. And Catherine Swift, in the role of Buzz Hargrove. Wow. Yeah, I'm in Buzz's seat. <laughs> you are. I'll never let him. I'll never let him forget it. Either. No, he wouldn't forget it. Believe me. Uh, <laughs> send him a photo. The, <laughs> the former president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, currently the spokesperson for Working Canadians. Good to have you on board as well, Catherine. Great to be here, John. You know, I've got to ask first off. Uh, let me throw this around the horn because uh, this story came out today, where the regulator in Washington State, you know how. Uh, Hydro One wanted to purchase these coal-fired plants under Kathleen Wynne. That was on plan, and uh, because Hydro One had been quasi-privatized, we were told, with the province still retaining 47%, and therein lies the rub. Uh, The regulator in Washington State said, hang on, we're not going to let this deal go through because there's political interference with the board. You might remember when Doug Ford came in, Mayo Schmidt, the $6 million man, went packing, and so too did the rest of the board. So uh, the government appealed, the Ford government, and uh, they wanted uh, the regulator to reconsider the rejection, and they didn't. They actually uh, said, no, sorry, it's a non-starter. You guys have no business here. And I'm curious now, uh, let me ask you first off, Ernie, I mean, how is it the, the regulators who killed the deal can actually subvert the will of the majority shareholder, 47% is owned by the province. I guess that depends on what the laws are in Washington State, because that's where you're trying to buy these assets. So I presume that's the law that governs. Um, and if it does, and they have that power, I guess there's, you may not like it, but there's no way of stopping Wow, that's a short answer. Uh, so, so, you want to be you want to born? No, I, I, well, I, you know, maybe enough said. If that's the way uh, these things work, John, would you concur? Uh, well, I, I think there's been a long history of of countries or sub jurisdictions, such as states, being concerned about foreign uh, influence in their economies. I think that, for example, people are concerned today about uh, the influence of the Chinese government through. Uh, companies that uh, they own 51% of. So I'm not surprised that there are regulations in place that look at the potential for political interference, although one would have to say what kind of political interference are you going to have coming out of Doug Ford? He's not going to shut down the coal plants and put up windmills uh, in that state, that's for sure. All right. Well, did we even want to be involved in this gambit, Catherine? That's my question. Who cares? 
Yeah. Really? Uh, I'm curious. Okay. You know, okay, who cares? It was, it was, I thought, an oddball acquisition in the first place. Uh-huh. I'd much rather, frankly, see the Ford government, and again, the technicalities of this might be overwhelming, but actually get back up to 50% or 51, ideally, and um, have more transparency. Because my, my own theory, and I think that of a lot of people, was that the reason that when she pulled so much shenanigans with the with the whole hydro issue generally, I think she wanted to... Um, it, it, the, the fact that they don't have, they no longer have majority ownership, means that all kinds of disclosure requirements disappear. So right. the transparency issue, and right. we know some of the outrages that went on at Hydro. You know, the transparency issue suddenly disappeared because they were no longer required to do a lot of public disclosure that they were required to before. I would love to see us take the province, you know, take majority control again and impose, reimpose that. Because I mean, you know, uh, Bonnie Lissick, the the Auditor General, said. Um, she can no longer do stuff with, with hydro because of the ownership structure change. Right. And so, you know, that's the interesting question because uh, this is a public uh, utility or uh, a covenant of sorts. And so uh, you're right. It If I can just pivot or dovetail to the thing that John said about foreign ownership, you know, where you have no leverage. Look, the General Motors situation in Oshawa, for example, and we had the vice president on yesterday. Uh, Mr. Patterson, who was saying, this is a done deal. It's irreconcilable. Uh, the proposals that Jerry Diaz went to Detroit to give to the uh, folks in headquarters was met with uh, a deaf ear. They're not interested. They're closing things down. They're moving to Mexico. A uh, couple of points. John, let me ask you, first of all, I mean, that Jerry Diaz went there and came back with nothing, does it show you perhaps the increasing irrelevance of private sector unions? And uh, is there some way that the politicians should have been involved? Is there anything they can do? Uh, maybe hindsight being 2020, because well, the last guys on the panel were condemning Trudeau and Ford for not uh, at least trying to do something and joining Jerry on the flight down to Detroit instead of him having to go on his own and pay his own way. What do you say on those fronts? So I would first say that public sector unions or private sector unions are, are very much relevant today. You, I believe that you know people want to organize. They certainly should have the right to do that and have representation. The challenge with uh, Mr. Diaz is that he... Uh, put on a little bit of a theater, I would say, in December, pretending like he could do something about this, that he could bully uh, GM into making uh, a change in, in their decision. Uh, I, some quotes I read from him today on this whole story was that uh, GM is not losing you know, money on this. They're not making any money on the plant, but they're not losing money on it. He seems to forget that the whole point of business is to make money. It's not simply to create jobs for as if it's a charity. Now, there's no question at all that people losing their jobs in Oshawa Everyone should be concerned about that. Doug Ford should be concerned. Uh, you know, Trudeau should be concerned. The question is, how are we going to retrain those workers? I think it's a mistake to sit down and think that it's the responsibility of Ottawa to start, again, bailing out uh, General Motors and trying to get them uh, to, to keep uh, a line in production there that the rest of us are subsidizing. I say that in the context of, remember, that, um, you know, seven provinces in this country have tax rates, personal tax rates, more than 50 percent. You know, the average family in this, this country pays 43 percent in taxes. When, do, when, when does this, this madness stop? Well, but Where we stop, you know, subsidizing businesses to keep around 2,500 jobs? Well, therein lies, it's a chicken and an egg kind of a thing because we did give them money and bailed them out in a time of crisis. But we made a specific agreement over a specific period of time. I wasn't a, a big fan of that that uh, that uh, bailout when it, when it occurred, but 
listen, it happened at a particular time in our history where that seemed to be the best thing to do to prevent further economic destruction, if I can put it that way. But we've got to get out of the business of, 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 of paying people to create uh, jobs here. We've got to get in the business of incentivizing them through proper tra- tax structures. Do you know how much investment has gone down in this country, foreign investment? It's down, uh, the number, latest number I got is 55%. Mm-hmm. 55%. Do you know how much investment uh, Canadian companies are, are making abroad, how much it's gone up in recent years? 74%. Right. People are not investing here. Why is that? Well, again, because uh, money has no soul or conscience. I remember Frank Stronach telling me that one time. He says it point uh, flows to its point of least resistance, and that's why there's a flight of capital. And uh, so, you looked at Ernie when you said no soul or conscience. <laughs> <laughs> I actually not an I actually looked through Ernie. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, you know, I didn't realize Frank was sitting behind me. Well, you know, uh, I'm. You're being frank now. Listen, uh, if this is a case of, is there anything, do you think, that uh, in practical terms that the government can do, Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau, uh, to salvage these jobs short of, you know, uh, paying some, uh, you know, taxpayers money, to, which doesn't seem like it's practical either because the company's made up its mind. Well, I think they have to try to fight for their constituents. That's what they are. Wow. I mean, I, I think, well, there's several ways you can do that. First of all, I said a few weeks ago that I thought uh, both the Ontario and the federal government should have been more proactive than they were at that time. Now, maybe at the end of the day, it's a losing battle, and they would have got the same result that Jerry Diaz got. Probably that's the case. Having said that, there are other things they could be doing, and maybe they are behind the scenes. For example, I hear that, you know, it's no secret that Tesla is looking at all the plants that GM's closing and thinking about perhaps locating in one or two or some of those. I mean, that's just one avenue. I understand that GM is offering, you know, uh, early retirement packages for a lot of the employees and different things like that. Those are all part of the same thing. I heard about retraining, but, you know, retraining for what and how many jobs are out there. I mean, this is not a small problem. It's not just the 2,600 jobs directly at the GM plant. There are literally thousands of jobs that depend upon that plant. Uh, Last time I looked at it, it was something like uh, over 20,000 jobs. So we're not just talking about a few jobs here. I do have a problem, and I've said this before, with all levels of government, provincial and federal, who give private companies money without making sure that there are certain terms attached to that with, with, with respect to employment. And they just can't pick up and screw off with their $10 billion without delivering on, on those commitments. And I, I think where the mistake is made is up front when the money's given in the first place. I don't think governments tie them up enough. If you want our money, here's what you have to do for it. Well, if you don't want our money, goodbye. Well, they're saying goodbye at the end of this year, uh, September of 2019. Diaz says the contract that was agreed to the last one runs into October of the following year. So right. they're obviously scramming, and uh, they're just basically whatever's on paper is not worth So obviously the government's doing their due diligence at the time. Got, he says uh, <laughs> facetiously, got a, some sort of huge security bond or lever credit they can just attach to and take that $5 billion back. I think not, and that's my whole point. I don't think that either level of government was difficult enough in the first place when they're negotiating 
the original agreement. Now, what was offered, uh, including a $20,000 voucher to buy a new vehicle, as well as retraining and uh, pension benefits to some of the workers or most of the workers, you know, when you formerly headed the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, because I've heard from some of the people in response saying, boo-hoo, you're getting a pretty fair shake out the door. We don't get anything like that when our businesses go flop. Well, how about how about Alberta right now? You got way more job losses, and and uh, let's face it, we have economies in massive transition right now for all kinds of different reasons, and you have to deal with it. And I guess going back to your original question about about unions, John, and never thought I'd say this, but it's too bad Buzz isn't here. But uh, <laughs> just kidding, I love Buzz. Uh, but. Um, unions are still back in the dirty 30s in their minds. You, you look at Diaz and you look at a lot of them, and the world has changed drastically, and they're still using the same tactics, the same sort of threats, and, you, you know, they're, they're not changing with the times. So private sector unions in particular have a huge challenge, I think, right now. Their membership is plummeting, by the way. It's cut by more than uh, half in about the last... 25 years or so in Canada, even more dr- drastically in the U.S. And um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're behaving with exactly the same tactics. Also, GM said back in 2014 it was going to phase this plant out in 2019. So the, the notion this came as some mega shock to people is not true. You can look back at news of five years ago and they were talking about this. And yeah, it of course is unfortunate for those people. But I, I think, that it, realistically speaking, the training, the, and you're, you're right, the package that's being offered to them is, is actually pretty decent, and certainly small businesses. Uh, they never make the headlines. That's the problem, right? So they don't become the political hot potato. But cumulatively, they tend to subsidize the big firms because when taxpayers' dollars are used, a good chunk of those taxpayers' dollars are coming from small and medium-sized businesses who don't get the subsidies and who don't get the bailout. Our roundtable group, Bernie Eves, John Turley, Ewart, Catherine Swift, and on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.